Well, this morning as I was getting our kids uh, fed at the breakfast table, Myla asked me, Daddy, is we, do we have church today? And I said, yes, ma'am, we do. And she said, awesome. I hope that you uh, feel the same way today, that you're gathering with the saints, the believers of Jesus Christ, and uh, no matter how difficult or troublesome your week has been, uh, we come together to celebrate today, to hear from his word, and to exalt Christ as our King and as our Lord. And uh, it's a privilege to be here again and, and uh, have the opportunity, Lord willing, to preach God's word to you. And I'll be preaching today from Matthew chapter 13 as we conclude this section of parables that the Lord Jesus delivered. It's been a joy to look at these parables and to be challenged by them. I hope that um, you have seen the work of, uh, of, of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life as a, hopefully, a member of the kingdom of God, um, submitting to his rule and his reign. And um, just to recap, we've bounced back and forth from Matthew and Mark and Luke uh, and ultimately, the last couple of weeks, we have focused on uh, kind of three main ideas um, as in regards to the work of the kingdom of God. We talked about the parable of the sower and the, and the weeds, those two uh, unique parables, and yet both of them focused on uh, the work of the kingdom, God working um, in his kingdom and him working in his kingdom through us as we go and scatter the seed and and the Lord is preparing his disciples and those who submit to, to him and, and belong to this kingdom that, that they are being prepared for the work at hand. The work of scattering the seed of the gospel, the work of inviting people into the kingdom, kind of what our children were, were singing about this morning, being invited to the wedding feast, being invite, invited to the kingdom of God. And... Um, with the parable of the sower, we know that oftentimes that, that seed of the gospel, the, the truth of the gospel falls upon different types of soil, and, it, and, it, and it, uh, the results are, are very different. And um, we see that in our lives. We see that in our families. We see that in our uh, friendships where people uh, seem to grab a hold of the gospel for a short time and they fall away. Or there's no gospel... Uh, no gospel seed that takes root in their life, or we see the, the work of God and the Holy Spirit um, do an amazing transformation in them, and they are converted, and they're saved, and, and they begin to multiply, and they begin to, to, to do the work of the kingdom themselves. And that's kind of what the parable of the sower was. And then the weeds also resulting in the work of the kingdom was kind of a, a, a step back in, in a, kind of an overhead bird's eye view of, of how the work of God is done in the world where the, the farmer would go and he would scatter his seeds, but then the enemy would come and, and sow in weeds. And we, we talked about the, that in the work of the kingdom, there's spiritual warfare and there's attack and that we must be patient and we must be uh, diligent to continue the work trusting in um, the kingdom that we belong to and the king who is at work, um, even in the midst of uh, spiritual warfare. Um, we talked about the growth of the kingdom, that we trust in the sovereign work of God, like a farmer who goes to sleep at night. He doesn't 
wrestle in his bed. He doesn't toss and he's turn and turn because he's been faithful to sow the seeds and he trusts that God is doing the work outside of his control. And that in that growth and in that work, there is a, an amazing growth that we cannot explain, that it's in the timing of the Lord and that ultimately that... Um, that growth is up to him. And so we just remain faithful uh, to scatter that seed. And today we want to talk about not only the work, not only the growth, but the worth of the kingdom. So we've talked about the work of the kingdom. We've talked about the growth of the kingdom. Today we want to talk about the worth of it. What's its value to us? What is it worth to us? Is it the treasure that Christ speaks of in these verses today. Look in uh, Matthew chapter 13 and let me read verses 44 down to 52. Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. And when it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into the containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the close of the age, the angels will come out, separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus asked his disciples, have you understood these things? And they said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out his treasure, what is new and what is old. Today, we want to look first at how the kingdom possession is a priceless treasure. Kingdom possession is a priceless treasure. Both the parable of the hidden treasure and the parable of the, the pearl of great value or the parable of the merchant, whatever you want to call it, they're synonymous peril, uh, parables that Jesus gives. We know that because in verse 45, Jesus uses the word again. And he uses that to connect the parable of the hidden treasure with the pearl, the parable of this pearl. Both parables contain um, men, particularly, who are uh, stumbling upon this great treasure. And one man uh, who is uh, walking through a field stumbles upon something that he's not really looking for. He finds a, a treasure hidden in a field. The parable of the merchant is a little different. This is a merchant. This is a tradesman. He is going out as his vocation to find things of great value. And yet what he has does not compare to the treasure that he finds. Both of them are very different and yet very, very similar. And they teach us, as Jesus is teaching us, that as we see the kingdom of heaven, as we see the kingdom of God, we should see it as a priceless treasure. We should see it as, as something worth more value to us than anything that we could possibly possess on this earth. 
It is priceless. It is invaluable. It has a a worth that goes beyond even our comprehension in this world. In the parable of the hidden treasure, it was very common in that day and time for, uh, let's say, a soldier to, uh, to go off to war. And before he goes off to war, he takes his treasure and he doesn't want to leave his treasure in his home. There, there aren't safety deposit boxes or safes. And so they would take their treasure and they would bury it in the ground. And it would be very common for that treasure to remain there in the ground because that soldier may never return from war because of the tragedies and death that he may face. And so in this scenario and in this this parable, Jesus is giving a a very simple uh, parable to teach us the importance of the discovery of the kingdom of God, that it is so amazing, it is so splendid, that we would look at it and say, whatever I've just discovered is worth more than anything that I possess. And of course, that treasure specifically is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the king of the kingdom. He is the apex of God's kingdom, and and so he is the treasure for us. When we believe and trust in Jesus Christ, we gain entrance and membership into the kingdom of God. Jesus came to inaugurate the kingdom upon the earth. And so ultimately what we're saying is that when we believe and understand the gospel and we come to believe in Jesus Christ, we are saying that Christ is our greatest treasure. The difficulty is that in our day and age, it's very hard to imagine the the treasures of of earth um, being buried in the ground. We, we don't go home and, 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 and bury our money or, or bury our um, toys, our expensive technology into the ground. Instead, our, our, our valuables, our treasures are cared for by insured banks. They're cared for by high-level security systems, secured networks of data encryption. And yet, many, many years ago, before I was in ministry, I served in the banking industry, and I can't tell you, as at one time a branch manager, I can't tell you the countless amount of times that we would um, excavate a safety deposit box where priceless treasures and expensive jewelry were left unattended and, and um oftentimes unknown to family and friends. We would audit these safety deposit boxes and and we would find things that were unclaimed by family members and friends, didn't even know they existed. Can you imagine those things? Can you imagine um, discovering later on that, that family and friends that had passed away had left riches stuck in a safety deposit box, stuck in a bank and, and, and never to be claimed and never to be received. Probably a, on an earthly, selfish level, it kind of gives you a sickening feeling in your stomach, right? Well, two weeks ago, we had an opportunity to hear from Casey Kidd, 
who was a missionary or uh, soon to be a missionary in the, in the area of Peru. And he told us about his mission where he in January and his wife are going to Peru to, uh, to disciple and to train up a church on the Peru border to Brazil with a tribe called the Matzes tribe. And what's amazing is that this tribe of people have had the priceless treasure of the gospel for over 20 years. And they border 14 unconnected, unreached people groups that are protected in this Amazon reserve in the Brazil side right next to them. They have complete freedom and access that most of the world does not have. And the Matzes people have sat on this treasure and have never shared it with everyone else. I mean, it's literally across the Amazon River, a priceless treasure, hidden, undiscovered. It was a great burden for me as I thought about this this week, my own personal life of the unfaithfulness in, over the years of my life to not take the priceless treasure of the gospel to people that I know. These are, these are tribal people that are disconnected from um, uh, society that, that live still in, a, in, a, in a, almost like a prehistoric um, type of, of environment. And the, the Matzes have an opportunity uh, by the discipleship of Casey and his wife and others to go and, and teach them the importance of sharing the gospel so that they could take this priceless treasure across the river to an area that very few people can travel and share the good news of Jesus Christ. And yet in my sinfulness, I don't take it to my neighbor the way that I should. It is a priceless treasure We see the word treasure used in verse 44. It's the same word used when Jesus, as a, as a babe in the manger, as God in the flesh, sitting in a, in a feeding trough, was, was, um, was born. And, and as he began to grow, these wise men from the east came and they presented gifts and, and, and they presented these treasures of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And they were, they were brought to the child Jesus. And, and these gifts were valuable and precious and purposeful to the, given to the prophesied king. And similarly, we have been given this treasure, not of earthly value, but of heavenly eternal value. And we should receive it as, as the, uh, the man in, in the field who receives it with joy. It says, then in, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Do you have joy for the things of Christ, for the things of God? Similarly, the merchant, this man is in search of fine pearls. In his search, he finds uh, what we would say the mother of all pearls. I don't know a lot about jewelry and, and pearls, so I did a little research this week. I thought it was pretty interesting that, that it's actually um, the defense mechanism of a muscle to create a pearl when something um, from outside of his environment uh, invades his uh, dwelling place. 
So it would be a, a grain of sand or, or something uh, foreign, some foreign object invades the muscle and then that muscle begins to, uh, to begin to protect itself by forming this, this coating over that foreign object and in that, the creating of that, he creates this beautiful pearl. And so imagine you're searching for these things and you find what you think is uh, just another pearl of value, but yet you find something that is worth so much, so much more than you can possibly imagine. You sell everything else uh, to get this one item, to, to, to hold and possess this great treasure. And so the, the idea is that Christ should be our treasure. There is no technology, no mechanical luxury, no place of dwelling, no physical relationship that compares to the worth of knowing and being saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. And these men represent in their commitment a joy that exceeds anything that they possibly could possess, so much so that they're willing to respond with sacrifice. And so in both parables, the men do all that they can. Now, a lot of times commentators look in at the, the, the man in the field and they, they look at him as possibly like a loner. He's, he's a... Um, He's like a nomad. He just happens to stumble around, so he doesn't have a lot. And it's assumed that this man is, being, is a contrast to the merchant who would have great wealth. So if we're going to assume those things, then we could say rather poor and rich both see the treasure of Christ and are willing to sacrifice all that they have. What this does not teach is that the kingdom of heaven has an entry fee, does not mean that the kingdom of heaven requires a monetary gift, a ticket. He's, the, the Lord Jesus does not take earthly credit for eternal life in him. So he must be warned. This, these parables do not teach that we can buy our way into heaven. We cannot purchase eternal life through Jesus Christ. We see that proven in the book of Acts with a man named Simon the Magician. Where Simon, upon seeing the powerful work of the Holy Spirit uh, in, the, in the apostles, and, and being a magician, being a man who uh, created illusion and maybe even was working off the, the power of Satan himself to, to, to bring... Um, magical feats before the people. And with, with his service to the people, he received, uh, you know, it was his job. He received money. And upon seeing the great power of the Holy Spirit at work in the apostles, he said, I've got to have that. And so what did he do? He offered money to buy the Holy Spirit. After confessing that he believed in Jesus and, and was even baptized. And Peter saw right through this fallacy. He saw right through this era, error in this man's life and, and told him to repent and to believe in, in Christ. That no one who truly treasured Christ would offer to buy the Holy Spirit. 
because we know that there is no value of earth that could be affixed to those things. And so do we treasure Christ and his kingdom above all? We could say that a person in this world throughout all of history is never born with the propensity or the ability to treasure Christ in his own effort. No person, no human born in this world has the ability to treasure Christ in his own effort. You will not esteem him. You will not love him until he first loves you and does a work in you. A treasure, a person treasures Christ when the work of the Holy Spirit changes us from within, transforms our mind and our heart into seeing Christ as worthy of supreme devotion and attention. Before the intersection of the Holy Spirit within us, whether you're 5, 15, or 50, Before the Holy Spirit does a work in our lives, we are like Saul, the enemy of God, seeking to destroy the works of the gospel. We may not realize it, but our constant rebellion against God is an attack against his kingdom. At that point, Christ is not our treasure, and there is no room for Christ before we... uh, in our pre-regenerate state because everything else, every other treasure that this world offers is supreme. We could say it another way, before we uh, are changed by the Holy Spirit, our safety deposit box is full of earthly treasures. There's no room for Jesus. But when the Spirit of God comes, when the Spirit of God comes upon our life, he opens our eyes to sin. He offers us the, the he, he helps us understand the free gift of salvation. We are willing to take those treasures and throw them as rubbish to the side because of the worth of Christ. And so if you have yet to accept the free gift of salvation, the command to you this morning is not to treasure Christ. The invitation is not to treasure Christ. The invitation is to repent and believe in the gospel. Because when you repent and believe in the gospel, you will treasure Christ. When you believe that Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, stepped out of heaven, came into this world, lived a perfect life because you and I are imperfect He met the standard of holiness that you and I will never meet. When you believe that Jesus Christ died to to pay for the penalty that sinners owe to God, when you believe that he actually rose from the death, loosing the bondage of every man to sin that believes in him, if you turn from your sins and toward Christ for salvation, you will be saved. And you will be so changed that all other treasures will be like dirt in your life. Ladies, 
gentlemen, if you ever want a good perspective of what earthly things and earthly treasures are to us as believers, let me encourage you to do one thing. Go to your sink in your kitchen next to your disposal, take the pipes off, and clean out all the food and stuff that you shove down that magical hole in your sink. And the aroma that comes out of that system will remind you that there's nothing on earth that is pleasurable or of any value in comparison to Christ. The earthly treasures of this world are like the chopped up muck that is sitting in your pipes that reeks, that reeks. If you can understand that, I promise you the first time you do it, you will understand how disgusting that is. And day by day as believers, our struggle, our struggle is to see how unhealthy and how disgusting the earthly things of this world are to our souls. Because they draw us away from a treasuring of Christ as supreme. Oftentimes they in themselves are not bad, they're not immoral, but in our sinfulness, we are drawn to them. And so as an unbeliever, the command to you this morning is to repent and believe in the gospel. And if you are a believer in here this morning, the message to you is repent and believe in the gospel. Because in your repentance and believing that Christ has saved you, that you have identity in him and not all these other things, you will treasure Christ above all. Number two, kingdom rejectors are of no worth to the kingdom. We revisit once again a parallel parable to the parable of the wheat and the weeds. Notice in verse 47, Jesus says the word again. He's connecting this parable to his explanation of the parable of the weeds in verse 37. He's just given us that parable explanation in verse 37 through 43. Then he goes to the parable of the hidden treasure. And then he goes and gives a synonymous parable of the great pearl. And then he goes back as kind of like bookends of judgment to the parable of the net. He says the parable or the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea that gathers fish of every kind. Most likely, he's describing what's called a dragnet. A dragnet is a large open net with weights at the bottom. And as it's tossed into uh, a somewhat shallow area, the weights drag the bottom of the net down and the boat usually makes a circular motion enclosing everything in this large broadcasted net and then it's cinched up and it's dragged to the shore with whatever it catches. Crabs, fish, trash. 
And the idea is, is that the kingdom of heaven is like this net that's cast wide, that gathers fish of every kind, much like the parable of the weeds, this field that has both wheat, good for eating, and weeds, poisonous and deathly. And what does Jesus say? That when the men pull the net to the shore, they separate the good from the bad. And what's interesting is that in our previous parable of the weeds, Jesus reminds us not only of what happens to those who don't belong to the kingdom, who are gathered by the angels and cast into the fiery furnace where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. But in that parable, he also tells us about what happens to the righteous, that they will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. But interestingly, interestingly, Jesus does not deal with the righteous in this one. He's revisiting again those who reject the kingdom of God. And he clearly just deals with their judgment. Because kingdom rejectors are of no worth to the kingdom. It doesn't mean that there's not opportunity to enter the kingdom now. But in the end, at the end of the age, those who are lawbreakers and and all causes of sin, all people who have rejected the son of the living God, will be discarded as useless to the kingdom. They will be judged and sent to hell where there is eternal suffering. This is a a just act by a holy God because all sin, all rebellion against our holy God must go punished. And so people at the end of the age will whether pay for their own sin or they will trust in Christ who has paid for their sin. I was thinking about this week, you probably saw on the news, that Democrat Bernie Sanders questioned the religious beliefs of a a candidate for the role of deputy director of the Office of Management and the Budget. Sanders was so appalled that this candidate by the name of Russell Vaught had previously made statements about his belief in Jesus Christ as being the only means of salvation and that all others who reject Christ will stand condemned. Now, Vaught made these comments because of a a co-worker at Wheaton College who was a, a devout Muslim and there was, a, there was a discrepancy and a disagreement among the staff and, and, the, um, and the faculty there. And so this man, with the religious freedoms that he has, was standing up for his belief in Christ alone for salvation. And in our belief that Christ alone is the means of salvation is also saying that everyone else will stand condemned before God because of their sin. And so Bernie Sanders was appalled by the idea that this man was so mean (laughs) 
that he would state that everyone else that does not believe in Christ will stand condemned. Another senator there from Maryland spoke up and said, I am a Christian, but being a Christian, in my view, is recognizing that there are lots of ways that people can pursue their God, end quote. So we can see that that the gospel itself stands in opposition to a growing worldview that looks at us as inconsiderate, judgmental, and absolute in our thinking. And listen, I'm thankful to be absolute in my thinking. I don't want to live a life of subjectivity where everyone finds their own way to heaven and to God and we're all going to be happy in a circle singing kumbaya. Because in that type of universalism, I am stripping away the glory that belongs to Jesus Christ alone. For if I accepted all forms of people that believe in a type or idea of God, I am then affirming that these are all different gods that are equal to Christ Jesus. And that is heresy. So we stand absolute that condemnation will come when you reject the kingdom of God and the King Christ Jesus. Turn with me real quick to Revelation 19. Verse 11. This is the prophesied judgment by the coming Lord Jesus to all those who reject him. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and the one sitting on it called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems or crowns, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of the God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. All those who reject the king and the kingdom are of no value to the kingdom that we belong to. And we stand in a, in a, in a, in a, a stature of grace. We stand in a placement of honor that we do not deserve because we have understood the gospel. Listen, you have understood that Christ has sacrificed his own life. You have seen and and enjoyed the white flag waving of peace. Not that you have brought peace, but that Christ has brought peace. 
He has brought the escape. He has spread his own blood over the doorposts so that the wrath of God will pass over you if you believe and trust in him. And because he has done all those things and you have done absolutely nothing to obtain your salvation, then who are we to object that condemnation and judgment are coming? He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Number three, kingdom disciples have innumerable treasures, both old and new. As any good teacher, Jesus kind of wraps it up with a, somewhat of an invitation. You guys understand all these things I'm saying? He asks them. You guys good with everything, disciples? And they say yes. And he gives one more parable. Many people call this the parable of the homeowner, the house owner, the master of the house. The idea of a man who has responsibility in his home to care for those, his wife, his children, his slaves, his servants, whoever belongs to this uh, abode of relationships. And he says to them, first, he calls them scribes of the kingdom. Scribes who have been trained, or we would say more literally, he calls them scribes who have been discipled for the kingdom of heaven. Now that's a very interesting thing for him to say. Because the scribes, as you know, were the enemies of Jesus. These were the theologians, these were the students of the law. Oftentimes they're paired with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Many of the Pharisees were scribes. But don't think of scribes as secretaries. Don't think of scribes as mere dictators. These were students of God's word. They studied it. They tried to understand it. The problem was, is that in the religious leader circles, the scribes of that group were not studying the law as much as they were studying the human tradition and the way that they interpreted the law. These human traditions that had been passed down through the rabbis and and teachers, they had spent their time focusing on them. And so what does Jesus do? It's like he raises up a new era of scribes. Scribes belonging to the kingdom. Scribes that have been trained for the kingdom. This is the, the new covenant scribes, the ones who were, will take God's word that, that has been taught and they will understand it and they will, they will break it down and they will teach it to other people. And they will handle the word properly and responsibly. So Jesus gives the parable. Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like this this homeowner, this master of the house. This master of the house has his family and, and, and he has his servants and he has treasures in his house. 
And as a, as, a, as a homeowner with treasures, maybe your friends come over, maybe your family come over, and you say, hey, let me show you this treasure I got. My grandfather passed down this really war, war, World War I, you know, medal or, or this, this heirloom that's been passed down. Let me, let me share this with you. It's so, it's so important to me. Let, me. let me share with you what they gave me. Or maybe something, uh, some anniversary gift, ladies, that your husband, you know, sold all his toys to buy you. And, and it's, it's new and it's shiny and it's expensive and, and it's a conversation piece. And so your friends come over and you're like, hey, look at this, look at my neck right here. You see this? You see anything different? You see anything sparkly? It's a conversation piece, right? And you're, you're, you're grateful to, sh- to show it to other people. You're, you're not trying to brag, you're just, you're thankful for it. Well, Jesus makes the parallel that a, a homeowner would do such a thing, bring out treasures from his house, both new and both old. But the, but the, the, the theme here, the, the focus of this passage is on the scribes of the kingdom. Because the scribes of the kingdom who have been given this responsibility to understand the things that the king has taught them will bring forth truth of the kingdom that's both new and both old. Folks, he's talking about the word of God. They had, they had the law. They had the understanding and they had grown up reading the law and, and, and now he's beginning to give them new understanding about that. And, and now they have the new and the old treasures of God's kingdom. The things that they had grown up learning and now they're seeing how those things are fulfilled in Christ Jesus. These are the new and the old treasures. And so the church today, we stand in such a great place of blessing because we have the canon of scripture, both the Old Testament and the New. And here at Redemption Community Church, we don't toss out the Old Testament and replace it with the New Testament. We say that that the counsel of God is delivered as a whole. We see Christ fulfilling things in the Old Testament and and we would say it would be absurd for us. It would be heretical for us to discount what has been given that is old because it is equally a treasure to what is new. So this whole canon of scripture, both old and new testament or old and new treasure, completed by the Holy Spirit through holy men of God, given to us without error or flaw in in the original manuscripts, bursting forth with wisdom and truth of Almighty God, the word of God that is necessary for the spiritual nourishment of our souls. It has clarity, so regardless if you are a farmhand or a physicist, you can understand these truths with the power of the Holy Spirit. It is sufficient for the church so that we need not look for new revelation, external sources, and words from God when he is giving this word to us. It is living and it is powerful. It's so powerful. It's powerful enough to crush the will of human kings, transform the hearts of murderers and rapists, 
restore the most divisive friendships, save the most antagonistic hearts that scoff at the kingdom. And most of all, it's truth from Genesis to Revelation, all points to Christ, brings glory to Christ, and will do so for all eternity. And so hopefully this morning, as we've gone through these parables, you consider yourself a member of God's kingdom. Now consider yourself a scribe of God's kingdom. One discipled and trained to pour through and understand both Old and New Testament. Yes, ma'am, and yes, sir, that means an understanding of Leviticus. That means an understanding of Revelation. That means an understanding of Micah, Nahum, and Habakkuk. That means getting in and understanding Jeremiah's suffering as a prophet of God when no one wanted to listen, when people mocked and bullied and scoffed at him, and he was still willing to to be obedient and faithful to the message that God had given to deliver it to a people that were ignorant and unable to understand. We are scribes of this kingdom because Christ has invited us to the marriage feast completely, unconditionally. We are the beggars on the street corner. We are the ones that at first did not reject the invitation and now have been offered the invitation. We come in our rags, smelling like the the kitchen sink sewer, ready for Christ to use us however he sees fit for his kingdom. And we do those things because the kingdom of God is precious to us. And as I said before, if you don't belong to the kingdom, repent and believe Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Trust in him. And if you're here today as a believer as a member of the kingdom, and you see in your life where you are being drawn away to believe and trust and treasure in the things of this earth, then likewise repent and believe and remember the gospel. And if you need to accept Christ today, the invitation is always open. Believe in him, trust in him, turn from your sins, and you will be saved.